Welcome to the Do This Feel Better podcast. Do this, feel better. Do this, feel better. Do this, feel better. The podcast that shares tips on how you can feel better during these crazy times. I'm your host, Jay Nackless. Michael Buckenberger is a senior educational consultant for an IT training company. And before we get into uh, the topic of this episode, Michael, uh, I want to talk about our friendship for a moment because I actually think that there's a few lessons within our friendship. I don't have a lot of friends like you. (laughs) Is that a good thing or a bad thing, Jay? (laughs) (laughs) It's a very good thing, which is the whole point of uh, of going through this. and what I mean is, like, I'm a pretty quiet, not that that all my friends are like me, but I'm a pretty quiet, relaxed guy from California, and you are intense, <laughs> loud, uh, boisterous New Yorker, right? Intense, yeah. very intense. I'm intense. Our conversations were, were really valuable because we talked about just about everything, right? We right. talked about uh, relationships and marriage and music and politics. Oftentimes our viewpoints weren't exactly the same, but it really illustrated to me the importance of of having someone that you can talk to that doesn't necessarily come from the same place as you do, have the same perspectives on life that you do. You come from a very different background and have very different life experiences and perspectives. And I found that really valuable. And I think that that everybody when possible should seek that out. Uh, I, I agree a hundred percent, and it, it's it's funny you say that because as you mature, you become more, uh, you tend to embrace more people who come from different backgrounds and don't immediately act with with fear or like that you're being challenged because they're different from you. And and we can take that lesson in a lot of areas of life. And one of the things that definitely built our friendship was those political discussions because frankly on the political spectrum we're reasonably far apart but it was so beautiful to have a conversation with someone who disagreed but did so without rancor with intelligence with empathy and was willing to listen to your point of view even if at the end they said well thanks for sharing that but i don't agree with you and here's why and actually was so and the reason why i think we both enjoyed those conversations so much is because they're kind of hard to find sometimes. Well, especially now, right? I mean, yes. it, that's that that's like finding a needle in a haystack truly and we we need that in our lives, that civility, that that dialogue more than more than we ever have for sure. And it's the only way to learn. I mean, to speak with someone or, or who may have an expertise in an area or at least some knowledge or some life experience in an area that's different than yours. If you're not open to that, then you're doomed to a lifetime of not learning. And, and and I guess for some people that's okay, but I don't know. I find it pretty boring, honestly. I agree. And I and I think that it's also valuable that if someone has a, a positive effect on your personality, that's a good thing. And it, and it may be something you didn't expect. I think in some ways, this might sound weird, but I think in some ways you've made me uh, a little bit louder and in some ways, I think I need you a little bit softer. <laughs> is that weird or does that make sense? No, it makes perfect sense. And and I will tell you, just uh, n- not to throw too many rose petals at your feet, but y- you're one of the more impactful adult friendships I've encountered. I mean, I'm 56 years old now, so I've been an adult for at least a little bit of time. But it's one of the most impactful because 
I, I was maybe I wasn't exposed to enough people that were slightly different than me or had different mannerisms than I, but just to be able to pause and listen to someone else's point of view and to collaborate and, and recognize that in them, they weren't challenging me. They were frankly trying to learn themselves, which made me calm down and be like, okay, you don't have to fight your battle every second. <laughs> Shut up for a moment and, and, Think you you're allowed to still disagree after you give it some consideration, but slow down. This person is not here to challenge you every second. And I guess that maybe was a little bit too much of my background. So it's been frankly, uh, you know, and I, I know I share it with you on social media, um, even with regards to this podcast, it it's your friendship has been very valuable to me. I've grown, I'm a better person because of it. So when you say that we've had an influence on each other, um, Speaking from my point of view, I'm very thankful for that. Yeah, and the feeling's mutual. And and part of that value came from, on a regular basis, uh, making sure that we had the stupid pandemic has put it um, on halt anyway, but having regular lunches, breaking bread with people like we've just been talking about is so valuable and so important. And making that time like once a month to say, I'm going to go have lunch with you and, and sit down for 45 minutes and have that discussion in person is, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's really important. And I think, gosh, if, if anything that this, you know, these last, um, what is it? Six, seven months has illustrated mm-hmm. it's, it's the gap, right? It's that void in life. It, it's completely true. And I know we'll probably talk about it some, but you know, I am a recovering alcoholic and I have no problem having that conversation. And one of the beautiful things that saved me was the fellowship. Well, the fellowship is not just in uh, a 12 step program or a 12 step meeting. Fellowship means having that fellowship with, with other human beings, no matter what the arena you're in and that connection is so important. And I can tell you, I miss those. I miss those monthly lunches that I look forward to when we are Well, in springtime, even if we have to eat outdoors, we'll have to just find an outdoor restaurant and do it again. But yes, those are, those are great. So let's get into what we're going to talk about today. And I'm going to throw some statistics and a quote out at you to get this conversation started. Sure. Uh, going back to May. So this was uh, early on in the pandemic. Uh, some Nielsen data came out that said that alcohol sales in the United States were up 32% year to year. The World Health Organization and National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism issued statements saying that excessive drinking may increase your COVID susceptibility uh, and severity. And mm-hmm. Dr. Rajita Sinha of the Yale Stress Center says that the uh, flip side of feeling good is feeling bad. And the more you drink, the more of the bad side that comes out. Depression is very common for people who have alcohol use disorder. Mm-hmm. And so I've thought a lot about, about people that are suffering from this disease and from addictions in general, not just alcohol mm-hmm. and how difficult is, and, and, you know, never mind a lot of the ways that our culture and social media have, I don't know if normalize is the word, but you know, zoom happy hours. And it's almost like drinking is almost an expectation, right? Or mm-hmm. a badge of honor. It's like, ah, oh, it's the pandemic. Let's drink. 
And Mm -hmm. for some people, that's fine if they can have a glass or two. But if you can't sit down and have less than a case, I guess that would be a pretty big problem. And as as you mentioned, you're a recovering alcoholic, and I'm sure you have some perspective as to what this is all like for people right now. Um, Well, I I can certainly tell you that that um, I have I am living it um, now, uh, no doubt about it. The the keys to me uh, for staying sober are, are, are many. Um, now, thankfully, I've got a few 24s under my belt now. So I guess the process of me knowing how to manage those feelings and those thoughts, I'm, I'm a little more experienced in it. So it's, it's easier for me not to lose my way and to forget. But I must be ever vigilant or one of our favorite lines um, is, you know, your disease is outside doing push-ups while you're inside, you know. Um, so it's getting stronger and stronger. It's not going, it doesn't go away. It never goes away. So you have to be ever vigilant. And that for me, the toughest part is exactly what we were referring to before, is that that separation of, of real communication that, that most of and what you say is true, like even the Zoom happy hour, even we in my neighborhood, there's a happy hour once a week. Everybody just sets up some chairs in the street for an hour or two on Saturday evening. And um, everybody but me has a, a glass with them. Um, so I think because of the lack of real human communication, it's it's forced us because we're doing it in a different way to think we need we need to go all out. Maybe we can't just sit down and have a 20 minute chat. Um, we need to go all out in those moments. Um, and because the week in between, because you're lacking that communication, maybe your pent up feelings of, I got to get out of here. I I need to, it it makes that, that time where you are with someone. I think people are putting too much pressure on themselves to maximize that because they don't get enough of it. If that makes some sense. Mm -hmm. I will tell you one of my tools. I have an app on my phone. It's a 12 step app. And so at least once a day I open it up because it's got a calculator. So it tells me I've been sober for 160,238 hours. And I'll tell you, that's really cool when I do that. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I do it at least once a day, just as a a, a reminder again, because my sobriety has to come first because all the other things in my life don't happen. Without that. So my family doesn't come first. My sobriety comes first, which then enables me to be there for my family. So I I would, up until the pandemic, even with all those years of of sobriety, I would never have a week go by without at least one meeting, usually two or three. Back where we used to work, there was a lunchtime meeting. And when I would leave the office at lunch, I didn't go to eat. I, I went to the office to go to a meeting. So now, thankfully although I don't do it as much as I should, and the fellowship level is a little different, there are connected meetings, AA meetings and Zoom meetings, and I've encouraged people who I talk with um, in the 12-step programs to participate in because it's very easy to lose sight of that. And if you're not speaking to another alcoholic or, or keeping your memory green or going through your tools, going through your prayers, going through your steps, boy, you're just 
it's very susceptible to fall back into the old ways because it's 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 easy to do. The disease is there. It's just in remission. You know, it's it's still there. It sounds like uh, I mean, is loneliness the greatest enemy to the to the addict? For me, anger would always be number one. Loneliness would be number two. I mean, I have a, I have a I would always say it means I, I suffer from the disease of selfishness more than all others which just ties into the whole alcoholism as well. It's certainly part of it. It's, it's, it's a mental health issue, you know, uh, leading to physical addiction. Right? Loneliness and anger. I could sit here and try to think of all of them, but those are the two big. And, and feeling, uh, uh, you know, perhaps a lack of appreciation for the world, feeling like you're too small in the world, which probably is a subset of loneliness anyway. How long did it take you? Um, and is this still an issue? And I wonder about this with alcoholics where you mentioned mm-hmm. these happy hours, right? Or these social gatherings that people get around together and everybody is drinking mm-hmm. but you, right? Right. I, I would imagine, correct me if I'm wrong, that uh, when you're initially in the in the first weeks, months, years of getting sober, I would think that that would be agonizing. Maybe it gets easier. Does it never get easier? Uh, that's an excellent question. And, and I will tell you that everybody's experience is probably a little different. Uh, my, my experience was, um, well, the, the first day I walked into a meeting was October 10th of 2000. My sobriety date is June 16th of 2002. Notice those two days don't match. I can tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt that the problem, the first almost two years um, that I, I went to plenty of meetings and uh, I taught I a sponsor and I read the big book and I did, I did those things, but I didn't change the things in my life I needed to change, which was changing people, places, and things. I would still hang out with a lot of the same people. I would hang out with them in some of the same places. So, so I, when I became serious and, and, and I hit my, my, my bottom, and my bottom was pretty bottom, I had to be willing to do that. So, for instance, you know I love concerts and sporting events. Well, for yep. two years, I didn't go to one. And I didn't go to one on purpose for two reasons. Number one, I kind of thought that without a drink in my hand, I might not enjoy it as much. So I was afraid of finding that out. But also, frankly, I, I was afraid that I could do it and not be hammered. <laughs> um, like, how can I go to an OzFest and not spend the whole day you know, <laughs> drinking or doing drugs or doing whatever. I mean, how, who does that, right, is what I was thinking. But also social gatherings, uh, bars, restaurants, it was definitely something that in the beginning I had to avoid. And I vividly remember the first time I went to a concert with my buddy Adam, where he was, he was going to be my, my buddy. And he's not suffering from the same disease as I, but he, he was so supportive. Like he said, listen, I won't drink. I'll be there for you. And he did. And it was beautiful and it was lovely. And about halfway through the concert, we turned to each other and said, it was like, this is the best show we've ever been to. And half of it was because it was a good show. But the other half was because we were able to experience it like sober people. It was fantastic. So it was, it was revelatory. It was so fantastic. So the long answer to your question is now I'm able to participate in these things. But I, again, since I have a number of 24s under me, I know myself pretty well. I am never the last to leave. I am frequently the first to leave. And it'll just be a thing where I know it's like, and I'll just whisper to my wife and who's super supportive about it. And I, and I won't bother telling anybody else. You know, it's, I, I do the, I don't know if it's a derogatory term or not, they call it the Irish goodbye. Um, I don't say goodbye to anybody. 
I just turn to my wife and I very quietly say, hey, time for me to go in. And she's like, oh, no problem. See you later. And that's even if we're not sitting out on the street. But if I'm, we're at a neighbor's house at a party, um, if it, I just scoot out the back door and head on home. When I know it's gotten to that time where either I'm feeling uncomfortable or, or I'm starting. And these are people I like. So I don't tend to like people who have had too much to drink. So I don't want to not like them anymore. And I just it's just not an area I should be around. So once it gets to that feeling, I don't wait. I don't, I just, Hey, night's over. Gotta go. That sounds like a really good strategy to, to mitigate mm-hmm. your risk. Right. And you mentioned on a couple of occasions uh, in our conversation, you mentioned you had 24s under you. What are 24s? <laughs> Days. Uh, 24 hours in a day. So in, in my group where, you know, I, in my infancy, in the program, I had some amazing teachers, and my sponsor was literally new Bill W. from way back in the day. He was an older, older guy. He was that was just the terminology they use. You know, you, you know how to talk to you. Got a couple of twenty fours under your belt, so it was just the the terminology that I was taught. A twenty a twenty four is a day. So once you've got a couple of twenty fours under your belt, you know, uh, you, you're you can feel better about. <laughs> sharing advice with someone, you know? One thing I recognized about, there was a a time period for a number of years that I worked with a recovering alcoholic. And one thing that I took note of him, and he talked openly about it too, was Mm -hmm. that having an addictive personality or this having an addiction means that you, (laughs) you go all out for almost anything, right? And, And so for him, he couldn't sit down and have one donut. He had to have a dozen. He had to have the largest coffee <laughs> in the world. <laughs> he once went, you know, he wouldn't go on this uh, this uh, company outing because there was gambling there, and he knew that for him, like he couldn't sit down and play, you know, a few hands of blackjack. He would lose his shirt. How does that manifest if you're trying to, let's say, right now, like you're you're listening and you're trying to get rid of an addiction. Is it, mm-hmm. is it advice to replace it with a good addiction? Like in your case, I know exercise, you're an exercise fiend. And, and to me, it seems like that's something that you've replaced in your life, that you go big in a big, big way. And maybe that's mm-hmm. kind of what we're talking about. But talk about that a little bit. You bring up a very valid point. Um, you know, it is well known in the rooms it is very common for someone when they first get sober to either become uh, a huge smoker or gain 40 or 50 pounds in a year. You're absolutely right. The, the temptation to the mental, the, the mental disorder is there. You know, when people talk about mental health or physical health, it's health. <laughs> you know, if your brain's not working right, does it matter if your hips working right and vice versa? I mean, I don't know. Anyway, I'll, I don't want to go off on that tangent, but it, it it's a it's a health disorder it's a mental health disorder it is all too easy to and even justify it to yourself well yeah i gained 40 pounds but at least i'm not drinking well that's ludicrous uh, you're still killing yourself maybe it'll take a longer time but you're still killing yourself and and by the um, way not not improving your um your state of mind it's not making you no, any happy no you're just you just as miserable, you just don't black out. Uh, you know, it's really, <laughs> it's really the only advantage to that. I definitely had some of that. Uh, I, I gained a little weight. I, I definitely was 
because my body was craving the sugar of alcohol. I definitely got into the ice cream eating habit. Um, you know, not that I would equate the two, but but there was there was definitely my body and my mind were craving that satisfaction of something else, and that's why at every every meeting there is there's a giant urn of coffee and a big plate of cookies always and you, you judge which meeting you go to based on the quality of their snacks <laughs> <laughs> um you are correct and and you try to in, in my head i try to rationalize it because we alcoholics are great at rationalizing there's no such thing as a good addiction okay um addictions are bad because it's a mental disorder now but you may you observe something correct i exercise seven days a week and i take it very very seriously and i try I, I, it may be somewhat uh, of an addiction, even though I try not to look at it that way. I try to look at it as a positive thing for me and not focus on the fact that I might be replacing it. But it is a very valid observation that most people who suffer from those mental disorders, replacing is a huge part of it. And if you're, if you need that, it's kind of like a, someone who smokes who needs the patch for love. If you need, a replacement. It's so, so, so important to try to find one that's either good for you, good for the world, or preferably both, you know, whether it be reading, you know, meditating, exercising, uh, volunteering at a hospital, whatever it is, try to pick something that offers some goodness to the world, because then it'll, it'll help fill that part of your soul that is lacking, which is without a doubt, a, a help when it comes to overcoming the mental disorder. Well, I think that's a good, um, you left us with some, some good tips, some, some good, do these feel better? My, my pleasure. And I just, I mean, I walk around my house humming, I do these feel better. <laughs> feel better. I can't hit the notes that you can, because you sing better than I do. But. I'll be back next Thursday with another edition of the do this feel better podcast. You can subscribe, follow, listen, download, at your favorite streaming platform, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Just search for Do This Feel Better. You can also find links and more information at dothisfeelbetter.com. Thanks for listening to this episode of Do This Feel Better. I'm Jay Nathalie. Do this feel better. Do this feel better.